Hey, so Jesse, we talk a lot about college on this show. Yeah, we do. And what we actually mean is Avondale University College, where we both got our bachelor degrees in ministry and theology. Yeah. And, you know, that's also where we became buddies and we lived in the dorms. We ate at the calf, walked to class in the sunshine. It was great. It was great. We had late night Maccas runs. We led in worship and uh, we also met some of our closest friends there. Absolutely. Probably one too many late night Maccas runs for me. But, you know, honestly, studying at Avondale was the best. And we're so stoked to say that this episode is sponsored by Avondale University College. Called to make a difference? Called to beat Avondale. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all, all about saving the best and burning the rest. <laughs> what happened? I don't know, uh, bro. I, got a, I think I got a stroke. It's okay. I'm okay, okay now. I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, he's good. He's back. Uh, hey, speaking of being back, like, welcome back, back. But we're also back, back. Is, uh, this is the first time we're recording in, like, uh, three, three weeks? weeks? Four weeks? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because uh, Jesse had a holiday. Went on some nice leave there. I did. I left. I was. It was officially leaving, and the leaving was good. But now I have arrived back from leaving. I'm no, I've no longer left. I'm all right. I'm all right now. I have unleft. I have unleft. It's such a funny word, leave. I'm going on leave. Like, mm. I, I should take my leave now. Um, good day to you, Mr. Rochester. I'm, I'm taking my leave. Yeah, well, I mean, we have, we could say leaving. Why don't we say, but uh, well, maybe that would be confusing. It's like, are you leaving for the day or are you leaving for two weeks? I am leaving, sir. Um, annual leaving. Annual leave. Annualing leaving. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick leaving. I'm um, grief leaving. I am mental health leaving. I don't. Uh, what other situations do you leave under? Anyway, the the point is, yes, <laughs> I'm fake sick leaving. <laughs> uh, I I have a friend who li- who recently had to take some leave because they were attending a function and um, they were telling they were telling their supervisor ahead of time, oh, I'm going to need to take leave for this day to go to this function, and the supervisor was like, hmm, yes, you do look like you'll be quite sick on that particular day. <laughs> <laughs> Three months from now. <laughs> it's like, yes. Mm, mm. yes. Looking a bit pale already. Yep, yep, yep. No. But no, it's good to be back. Um, yeah. Had a good holiday. Um, didn't have, uh, like, it wasn't all lazing by the beach holiday, but that's okay. I, I kind of get a little bit restless if I'm not doing anything. Um, but it was good to not do something for quite a while. And then good to get back into doing stuff. So uh, yeah, no, it was it was cool, but it's good to be back. Hmm. Yeah, I find like it's it's not. I don't know. I haven't had one of those do nothing holidays for mm. a long time because most of my holidays now are spent going back to Australia to see family and friends. And sometimes You're rushing. like you come back more exhausted than when you left because it's just like yeah, you know, you're running around trying to see everybody while you're there, and then you need yeah. a holiday to recover from your holiday. 
Yeah, and I mean, I li- I like it. Like, I like seeing everybody. It's awesome. Mm. But at the same time, like, you spend so much time. Like, I, I, I'm just trying to imagine, just imagine going somewhere and then not doing anything for like two weeks. Like, actually sitting by a beach. I um like a fine yeah thought. I would love to do that, but I don't know that I would. I don't know. I, mm. I did that when I went to Mauritius a few years ago. Like we, we stayed at two resorts, like sort of like a cheaper resort and then like a nicer resort sort of towards the ends of the of the trip. And that was pretty cool. I ate most of the time though. It was like free buffet and then like- Oh, yum. It was amazing. And, um, you know, the pool and, you know, did some jet boating and some those paddle, paddle um, what are they called? Like- paddle boards. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like the twin, the twin boats that you can get. Like your oh. your beautiful other sits in one side, and you just paddle along, and it's oh it's yeah, quite yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. It's not a yeah. Um, I don't know what they're called, but paddle that's, boat. That's cute. That was cool, but I only did it for like four days, and I was by the end of the four days, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty ready to move on, do something else. Like, there's only so much. There's only so much. Um, uh, there's only so much lazing that people can do i don't know no people can do it more i feel like people can do it more maybe yeah. i'm just maybe i'm just weird maybe it's just an, maybe you need to like practice practice doing nothing yeah man i wish i was one of those trust fund kids that didn't have to work a day in their life and they can just spend their day at the golf course sipping like a scotch whiskey and then like playing golf and doing nothing else yeah i mean uh i mean i like doing things I don't think I'd wish that, but I I can't even imagine. I'd like to I'd like to figure out I'd like to taste it, like what that lifestyle would be like, but then have the option to like go okay I'm gonna go back to being a regular person like that would be nice. Imagine is like all right you have a year where you get to live like, well it's like money doesn't matter for a year so yeah. you don't have to work you yeah. could but you didn't have to you just do whatever you want because yeah. it's like whatever. Is yeah. a year long enough to truly know, though? You know, it would be like... <laughs> oh, might have to have a few more then. <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of science, yeah. I need five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. But that's cool. Anyway, hey, look, today we are not here to talk about uh, being a trust fund baby. Uh, we are here to talk about something extremely serious, Josh. Have you heard the news? Um. Uh... It's okay. You can say no. No. Okay. The Sunday Law is coming. Oh. Did you did you did you know that, bro? It's uh, happening. I've heard it on the grapevine. <laughs> How many times? Okay. Serious talk now. How many times throughout your lifetime have you heard that that phrase Sunday Law is coming in whatever like, you know, different language, but that idea that Sunday Law is just around the corner. Oh. Okay, I've definitely heard it a lot more since becoming a pastor, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, probably, oh man. Yeah, I, okay, there were times when I was hearing it like on a fortnightly basis, depending on what was happening in the in the in the news. Dude. But lately it's probably just been a few times a year. Just a few times a year. Yeah. So maybe that's pretty casual compared to most. No, maybe more. I don't know. I'm only remembering that a few times a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot for me. Like, uh, uh, I shouldn't say me. Like, it's not like it's not like anybody's like directing this specifically to us. But like, <laughs> it's one of those things that's in the ether. 
of like the Adventist understanding, the Adventist psyche, the collective brain sort of waves and the way that the, mm. the, the, the biological sort of organism that is the Adventist church is kind of like part of that foundation in a way. Mm. I think you would say I've heard it alluded to more times. Yep. Like people just say like, you know, what's on the horizon kind of thing. Oh. And they're not outright. They could be saying Ooh. other things, but I'm like, you're probably talking about Sunday law. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that I grew up with hearing about all the time. Um, and, you know, it's funny because though Adventism, Seventh-day Adventism is a, is a fairly monolithic sort of, at least a lot of conservatives would like to, um, have Adventism as a fairly sort of monolithic, okay, this is what we are and this is what we believe and we're all kind of the same. We're all kind of going in the same direction. I do find it funny how this idea of end time events and the things that are all associated with end time events have all kind of collated together. And we've kind of picked up this and that and, and the other thing um, from different traditions. So like, we in the Adventist church would say would maybe emphasize a, a universal Sunday law, which is what this whole episode is about, by the way, if you hadn't already picked up on that. Um, but other faith traditions might emphasize uh, one world government or, or microchipping or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, the World Bank. The World Bank. One world government. Um, a tyrannical power that is going to take over every institution and every government and is going to rule with a dictatorship fist and it's going to be 666 is their number and all that. The reptilian overlords living in their moon base. <laughs> and That's I a real one. theory, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Don't spend too much time on it, but if you want to know, his name is David Icke and a lot of people take it way too seriously. <laughs> so, And I, for one, welcome our new reptilian overlords. <laughs> And this I've reporter, I'm a bit of cold blooded myself. <laughs> what is that? Anyway, oh, sorry, everyone. Um, but yeah, no, this is. I mean, it's so funny. It's so funny, man. Because growing up, um, I was inundated with. Uh, I had quite conservative parents, um, and that's not nothing bad against them. But that's sort of the world that I grew up in. Yep. Of um, this was the stuff that we talked about. This was the language that was always used. These are the presentations that we attended as children. And these are the conversations that we had around campfires and around lounge rooms growing up in the church were around this idea that world leaders are conspiring behind the scenes to bring about a one world government, to institute a national Sunday law, to make sure that everybody signs up for this mark of the beast, whether it's a microchip or if it's a uh, artificial intelligence thing or uh, it, it was always something different, right? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it changed a lot. Um, uh, and, and, and at the center of it was this idea that um, a political power would merge with a religious power to essentially become the spiritual political superpower on earth. And uh, there would be uh, institutions of worship that would be mandated a national law or an international law, perhaps, that would require uh, you and I, everyday people, to worship on a specific day, to not be able to buy and sell unless we have the mark of the beast, 
uh, all this sort of stuff, which kind of I kind of meme we kind of meme about these days. But there are still there are still people who very seriously in our church um, still preach this message. Oh, a lot. I know there are people who listen to this podcast who seriously, yeah, absolutely. Like, are, are really into this, you know, and this is definitely not to disrespect anybody or no, you know, any of that sort of thing. And I think it's a, I would say it's definitely a valid interpretation of scripture. I, mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I, like I, I, I can see how you, you get there is what I'm right. saying. Yeah. Right. And look, we as Adventists, we have a very specific way of looking at prophecy. We have a historicist view, um, which I don't think a lot of people quite understand what that is, um, even if they are Adventists. But if you don't know what a historicist view of, of prophecy means, it's basically that you look at the Bible on one hand and you take a newspaper on the other hand and you try and marry up what's happening in your newspaper with what's happening in, in Scripture. Um, it's this idea that all prophecy points to historical events that have either already happened or are going to happen. Um, and that our job is to figure out either how the scriptures uh, interpret and explain past historical events in a very specific sequential order or how events that we see unfolding today um, validate what we see happening in scripture uh, if they haven't already happened. Um, so, so we have a very specific understanding of scripture and, and of prophecy specifically uh, within this historicist viewpoint. And um, we use that as one of our big strengths. Like one of the things that I was taught from a very early age is how Nebuchadnezzar's statue in um, the book of Daniel relates to world empires, the rise and fall, starting with Babylon, ending with sort of a divided Europe from the golden head to the iron and clay feet and all the empires that were kind of in the midst of that from the Medes and the Persians to Greece to Rome to, yeah, further on to the um, divided Europe. They all fit within this um, theological, eschatological framework of, okay, such and such is on power and then the next comes through and they are represented perfectly and we see this and then we can say, hey, scripture is, it's trustworthy, it's reliable. We can rely on prophecy to reveal what's happened in the past, which gives us confidence to be able to interpret prophecy for what's going to happen in the future. Um so that was my understanding. That was sort of what I was taught from a very early age about how scripture and how prophecy works. Was was it similar for you, Josh, or was it sort of different? Yeah, I like I've actually always really liked the Daniel 2 prophecy about the statue. I've always thought it was I still think it's cool now. Um mm. how it's Yeah. I don't know, like it it's 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 shockingly accurate, I guess, <laughs> is the way I would describe it. Um mainly because I got to a stage where I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm sure it's not really, it doesn't really work out that neatly. But then I Googled it, did research for myself, researched it myself, which is such a meme to say in itself. But um, you know what I mean? Like I looked into it in my own time and I was like, wow, I'm actually really impressed by this. So I think it's, yeah, the prophetic voice of scripture is something I, like for me, Daniel 2 gives me a reason to take note of the prophetic voice of scripture. Mm. Um and to take it seriously. Uh, but I, when I say that, I mean, a lot of people can draw different uh, uh, conclusions of what I mean by that statement, I guess. Um, mm. But for me, at least, it gives, I, I, yeah, 
maybe I didn't grow up with it as much in a tr in a traditional sense, but I grew up with that that in mind that like, mm. hey, scripture does have a prophetic voice and we have a responsibility to actually look, understand, interpretate, interpret, interpret. <laughs> What's the English? Interpret, interpret. Yeah. <laughs> interpret. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, which brings us to uh, this this article that we will share in, in the show notes and it's uh, entitled Universal Sunday Laws and Adventist Doctrinal Intransigence, which as I just read it, I don't even know what the word intransigence means. Do you know what the word intransigence means? <laughs> nope, this is great time for a quick Google. All right, on Google it says... Intransigence, noun, a refusal to change one's views or to agree about something. Ah, okay. Cool. Ah, okay. <laughs> that's, so, that's so funny. I didn't even realize that, that word. I don't even know what the word means. But um, anyway. I honestly, when you sent me the article, because Jesse found this article and sent it to me, I think I just ignored that that word was even there because I'm like, it's just like a, it doesn't exist. In my mind, <laughs> I think I think I did exactly the same thing, which is ironic. <laughs> I linked to this article. I linked to this article from a different article because this is a column written by Matthew Quarty on uh, Spectrum Magazine. Um, so uh, yeah, intransigence, doctoral intransigence. Uh, I assume means a refusal to change position on a particular uh, point of doctrine, which yeah, is. And I should just say, uh, some of our listeners might not know Spectrum Magazine. Um, so, I think we should just quickly add. Uh, mm. It's a Adventist magazine and it's, I think it, the whole thing is it's meant to be various views on the Adventist spectrum, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like that. their little slogan is community through conversation. So, I think it's the idea of having different viewpoints and and that sort of thing is like a forum where people can share different views. And I find a lot of value, to be honest, from different articles I read on. I don't read every single article that goes on Spectrum, but yeah. I find a lot of value from the ones that I do read on there. So anyway, just a good resource. Yep. If you guys are interested. Um, Adventist Forum is the publisher of Spectrum and it's an independent nonprofit organization um, tied to the church, but not. Um, it's not uh, run by the church. Yeah, so but, yeah. just something to point out. This is not exact. This is not. Uh, this is not uh, content from the Seventh Day Adventist Church, but rather by a non-profit organization that is tied to the church, but is independent nonetheless. So yeah, um, very much the uh, realm of opinion, which is exactly what a column is. So uh, interestingly enough, so Matthew Cordy. He writes this column and he starts out with something which I don't think is super controversial, but I think it is important for us to note that there aren't that there aren't any or that many contemporary Christian denominations that are as tied or associated with the second coming of Jesus as the Seventh-day Adventist church, um, which is quite interesting. Mm. Uh, I don't know. That's it's it's a something that which I think I mean it's in the name right, um. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there there aren't really I off the top of my head I don't know maybe I can't think of any denominations whose name it revolves around the second coming of Jesus. Definitely not organizations or denominations that want to be held seriously as main a mainstream Christian denomination. 
right? Like there, you can talk cults and, you know, really underground sects that probably have just as much to do with Jesus' second coming as us. But, you know, definitely the Adventist church wants to be held seriously as a legitimate Christian denomination. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so cool. so with that in mind, um, he goes on to talk about um, how we as a church have our roots in the Great Disappointment of 1844. In fact, um, 160, 176 years have lapsed, elapsed um, since that Great Disappointment. And we as a church have um, really built our foundation around that Great Disappointment. Um, and he, he asserts that we probably, more than any other church in Christendom, I'm quoting, have looked to the signs of the times to calibrate the closeness of the hour. Other denominations have been similarly engaged in this practice, but none have been as persistent and shown as much devotion to finding predictive markers for the seven, seven, second coming uh, as Adventists throughout our history. I suppose we do this in part because of our historicist approach to eschatology, an approach which seems to have bound us to specific events latched onto when we were developing our initial hermeneutics, end quote. Um, so, in this opening, I think fairly fairly standard, he talks about how our church is um, founded on this idea of Jesus's second coming. We still hold that as a as a as a fundamental tenet of our belief, um, and that is you know really central to who every Adventist is. I mean, that's you know the songs that we sing and the ideas that we hold. It's all pointing towards that idea that Jesus is coming soon. Um, oh, it's it's huge, really. It's <clears throat> it's really like part and parcel of our like gospel message, really. Like we preach Jesus, Jesus's life, death, resurrection. Um, you know, for your sins, but we always finish it with, and He's coming again soon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the final part of when we share the gospel message, our our angle on it. Yeah, I've often reflected on that as a fundamental difference between Adventists and almost every other Christian, because if you were to be any other type of Christian, that ending point might be along the lines of you better accept Jesus, otherwise hell, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, that fire and brimstone, like I'm, I'm saying Baptist, not because I hate Baptist, just it's so often associated with that like hard Baptist fire and brimstone teaching is what I hear a lot, you know, so that's... Yeah, yeah. I uh, think that's whereas, whereas ours is more. I think it's more of a focus on Jesus coming and saving mm. rather than watch out. You know. Yeah, I think that's an appropriate comparison, given that like sixty to seventy percent of Adventist theology is fairly in line with what Baptists believe anyway. Like, um, you know, we have those core differences, but by and large, a lot of what we believe is similar to a lot of Christians, like mainline. I mean, that's why we had questions and doctrine in the in the 1950s, right? That's that whole idea that, yes, we are a legitimate Protestant um, denomination, Christian de denomination, but we hold some of these things in, in distinction. Um, so, he goes on to say in, in this column article that the church holds in varying degrees of fervor several distinctives. Some might say... 
extra biblical doctrines concerning conditions that would foreshadow the second coming, aka we have a very specific understanding of how the second coming is going to come about, um, which is pretty obvious if you know Adventist theology, but if you don't, that's what this episode is. We're going to get into it. Um, Some of it, not all of it, because there's a <laughs> what, lot. What? I thought we were going to be here for the next seven hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Interestingly enough, he, he, he talks in this little section here how we we sometimes are a bit dishonest with how we put forth those <laughs> significant distinctives. He, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how fair this is. Okay, this is the one part of the article. I'm not quite sure how fair this is, but he basically says we sometimes seemingly purposely uh, avoid talking about them with people who are not Adventists as a way of not scaring people off. We kind of get them baptized. We kind of get them into the church. And then we unload this stuff on them after they've become a member of the church. I'm not sure how fair that is. Yeah, I, I felt the same when I read it. Mm. Maybe it's just his context, but I've always, I've always thought like in the. I mean, I haven't been to heaps of you know the full-on public evangelism seminars, Adventist public evangelism seminars where they go through all Daniel Revelation prophecy, health message, all that sort of stuff, and. I've always thought that in that they they hit Sunday law at least once and pretty well and they always it seems to always come up with like the you know Catholic Church little horn yeah all that sort of stuff and generally Sunday law they'll fit it in there and then they'll do another one that's how I've seen it so I I didn't agree with that part of the article mm. personally yeah from what I've seen but I'm not saying it's not true in his context maybe maybe it is maybe that's yeah. how they do it in the states I don't know in my understanding if anything we've overshared than undershared. <laughs> in my in my experience but that's just Maybe, me yeah i don't know um okay so so one of the things that he puts forth as being very distinctive and yes he's right it's this is very distinctive of adventism is this understanding that at the end of time there will be a a, a it's a national law actually the famous we we use this national sunday law because of a very famous little booklet that was published called national sunday law in the 20th century, which a lot of people point to as sort of like your little, you know, one-stop shop quick guide onto what the National Sunday Law is and the understanding of Adventists. Um, interestingly enough, um, this idea of the National Sunday Law very much came out of uh, an American context. Um, and in terms of the National Sunday Law and the American uh, Adventism uh, in the early 19th and all the mid mid to late actually 19th century, um, there was a really interesting debate between different Christian groups and Adventists. Ellen White specifically participated in a lot of this, where a lot of Christian groups were campaigning to have Sunday reserved as a a day of rest and a day of worship. Many of the early um, Christian groups who were campaigning against um, alcoholism and um, all the evils of the time, they were wanting Sunday to be legislated in as law to be a day where people could worship and businesses could not be opened. 
what Adventists then did is they came along and they said, no, that's actually wrong. We don't want their, the government to, to interfere in our worship. Um, back then, America was very much a much more religiously uh, monolithic, not quite as diverse country, um, not that many Jewish people, not that many uh, Muslim people. Not that many people of any other religion other than mainline Protestantism um, and certainly not that many people who were in public office or in a place of influence to be able to speak into this conversation. And so, Adventists began to develop this idea and Ellen White um, accelerated this idea that in the end times, these voices that they were currently in conflict with about whether there should be a national Sunday law that it would happen and that it would be uh, the mark of the beast, I guess, um, or it would yeah. be at least associated with the mark of the beast. Um, yeah, I think, well, it's, yeah, it's more the worship of like rather than, yeah, I think it's more the worshiping God in the context of what, how they saw like the Ten Commandments. Yes. They're like, ah, oh, one of the commandments, keep Sabbath, so unless you're worshiping God in the context of all 10 of those commitments, if you're doing anything opposite to that, then you're receiving the mark of the beast. So it's more around yeah. worship, but it's tied to Sunday law. Cause if you can't, anyway, yeah, that's the narrative. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So, so yeah, this idea anyway developed and um, many, many people came on board in the Adventist world uh, and it has become a, uh, a talking point, I guess you could say. Ever since. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would actually say it's moved past this because when we talk about it here in New Zealand, Australia, we're not acting like it's a national Sunday law. For us, it's an international Sunday law. Right. Because the way we talk about it, it's like it's going to hit the whole world at once. Um, you know, like, well, or maybe the whole Western world at once. I don't know. People it's don't, so... I don't know people get into super details about how it's going to happen, except that something, something, Pope's in power, something, something, <laughs> we're all doing Sunday. Sunday worship because Sunday law, mark of the beast. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, somehow. I, I know I'm kind of making fun of it a little bit there, but that's kind of how I've heard it. But that's, that. I think that's, that's very, that's pretty fair because in my view as well, or my experience, it's always been, okay, the Pope one day, he's going to sign a secret order with the President of the United States, and then suddenly we're all going to be forced to worship on Sunday. And I'm sitting <laughs> in Australia and New Zealand going, how? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> How does that I work? <laughs> I don't know. If somebody told you this 20 years ago, could you picture two more opposing ideas of the President of the United States and the Pope? Like, who? Are we? At the moment, it's currently President Donald J. Trump and Pope uh, Francis. Yeah. They are like the most opposite personalities Absolutely. I can even imagine. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it's kind Pope of Francis is like about. a progressive darling, whereas Donald Trump is absolutely cozying up to the conservative right-wing evangelicals. I mean, that's the whole reason he got elected um, yeah. is because he was able to do that. And they are not fans of uh, old, old Pope Frank. So, yeah. <laughs> Frank. So I haven't heard it worded like that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but but this is this is this is what um, this is what people would say. And uh, again, it's it's almost like a, this big Americanism that we in the uh, countries that are not America have uh, latched onto. Going, oh yep, this yeah, this 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 seems legit. You know, um, 
this seems like something that could happen. And then we read into it uh, over and over again about everything. Yeah. And I think this is a this is a challenge. And maybe if you, you know, we have a lot of Amer- American listeners. I think, I think, I feel like this would be difficult to spot as an American Adventist because these prophecies were written and interpreted within your context. So it would make a lot more sense. Yeah. For you. I would assume, obviously, we're not American. But then I've always felt outside of it a little bit. When, when I see this, I'm always like, so how exact, like, America does have a lot of influence over mm. the rest of the Western world. You know, the, what do sure. we call it? The five eyes, the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, US. Oh, yeah. um, Seems like generally, legit. yeah, I've heard that before. I don't know yeah. where it comes from, but that's just what I've what never I've heard. heard of it before. Oh, okay. Go. Five eyes? Now, now I'm confused. I'm sure that's what it's called. Anyway, maybe <laughs> this will be totally wrong and someone will be like, wow, someone should be a fact checker on this podcast. But anyway. Um, <laughs> hey, bro, this isn't a presidential debate. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know though like i've been listening to a lot of different podcasts lately and a lot of them will have a fact checker uh on, yep on board yep yeah um so i'm gonna fact check myself yeah <laughs> five five eyes but um, what, what? but um the basically the u.s generally has a lot of influence over the um yeah it is the five eyes the okay. five eyes the um other western nations but we're still. Oh gosh! <laughs> Sorry, Jesse just opened his eyes really widely. If you watching the video, that scared me a bit. Two, two of the eyes right here. <laughs> um, and uh, but it's we're still very different countries, and yeah. even a lot of people feel like Australia and New Zealand are the same country. You know, that's what we we tell a lot of people that we're Australians living in New Zealand. Um, this is a New Zealand-based podcast. Yeah, but a lot of people are still like, oh yeah, it's that Australian podcast, burn the haystack, because you know, <laughs> like, they just feel like we're the same. But we are actually pretty different nations, even yeah. us, and we're very influential on each other. The UK, yeah. so that's why I always felt like it just feels like a bit of a stretch that it's like America would do something, and then all of us, all of us would just follow suit, and then not just all of us, the entire world would bring in this same law. Yeah. Now I don't know. It's always just seemed like wow, that's pretty yeah. pretty hectic. Um. Let me read you this. This is a quote from Great Controversy, one of Ellen White's books. And this is sort of one of the quotes that people often use to, uh, to, to describe what this Sunday law is going to look like. She says, um, the dig- dignitaries of state, of church and state, will unite to bribe, persuade or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. So that's sort of that's sort of how she kind of imagined it. That's I I imagine that's how most people kind of kind of envision sort of what is going to happen that you will have all the different world religions um and by all the different world religions i think pretty much people just think the catholic church and protestants churches um you'll have all those christian denominations coming together and then somehow um political leaders are going to come on board and they're going to sign a bunch of laws into office 
and bada bing, bada boom, you got a one world government, apparently. That seems to be the only way that this could ever actually happen. Um, Yeah. Which is interesting. Sorry. I know you're going to say something. Which is interesting because, because, like, it seems to me... It seems to me that when Ellen White was writing these words and people were talking about this in the late 19th century slash early 20th century, the idea was this is just something that's going to happen in America because America is like the only country that matters. And in some ways, I think people still kind of feel the same way, (laughs) right? But it's like, okay, this has precedence in America because we know that from um, the American historical record that there were these um, groups lobbying for this to happen. And there were also what they call blue laws, um, which different states had where you could do certain things on Sunday and you couldn't do certain things on Sunday. And actually, that's sort of why even in New Zealand and in Australia, um, we have this precedent for why certain um, shops will be open on Monday through Saturday, but they're not open on Sunday. It's sort of like a leftover from that time and we've kind of adopted it even all the way over here. Like I remember being a kid growing up in New South Wales and I'd go to Western Australia to visit my um, my mum's family over there and we'd go to the shops on Sunday and everything was closed. And I'd be like, what? Why? You know, yeah. everything, all the shops are open on Sunday in New South Wales, but why not in Western Australia? Oh, bro, it was the same growing up uh, country Victoria, my parents' retail business. Open all week, never open on Sunday. There you go. Yeah, that's just, and that I remember asking my dad why it didn't work that day because I was curious when, he, when I was a kid. He's like, oh, that's just when, when people go to church. It's, it's a church day. I was like, ah, cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's just how it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I found interesting because then I'd go to church on Saturday, but I didn't really link the two together as a five year old or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Look, in the consciousness and in the in the historical context of the late 19th century, um, one thing that we don't actually realize today is that in that time period, in the 1880s, um, it was fairly routine for Seventh-day Baptists and Seventh-day Adventists to be singled out and jailed for uh, working on Sunday. It was something that happened. And so, of course, people would go, you know what, this this could become a national thing and we could actually be persecuted uh, for being Sabbath keepers and Sunday deniers, Sunday deniers. I don't know. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, it makes so much sense in that context. Yeah, yeah. And yet, um, it does it does seem out of, out of fashion and a little bit uh, out of touch with the world that we live in right now. I would which, agree. I would, uh, yeah, I feel awkward saying that because yeah. it's so embedded in our culture Yeah, and we might cop flack for this. It, we probably will, but it... And I, I want to clarify, okay? I'm not saying that Sunday law could never happen, an yeah. international Sunday law, because COVID-19 has taught me to be like, anything could happen. The world can change really quickly. Um, and and we so, we are not political analysts no. or in any way show we do not have the authority to make a call like that. We're just seeing we're just we're just we're just talking about how we see things right in this moment, this cultural moment. Wait, you're not a political analyst? What have I been doing this whole time on this show? Wasting my time <laughs> as a political analyst. No, okay, um, no, but yeah, we and that, but that's the thing. I think for me I've felt like, okay, this season has taught me the world can change quickly and not always how you expect it to be. 
that's it. Um, but yeah, I just feel like the idea of an international Sunday law just seems so just far-fetched from the world we're seeing right now. Yeah. I don't know how it could happen. Could it happen? Sure. Yeah. And should we be um, prepared for a trial like that? Um, yeah. Yeah. You should be solid enough in your own beliefs to know that there will be trials for a believer. Hmm. You know, that's pretty clear cut from the teachings of Jesus um, that you'll have many trials in this life. And so we need to be prepared for any trial like that. Um, but it would just be, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking like, is it time to maybe just look again and think are there other ways of seeing it? Because yeah. as well, I don't know if you realize this, Jesse, but worldwide, not everywhere has the same weekend. So it's true. In our in America, New Zealand, in a lot of countries, the weekend is Saturday, Sunday. Working week is Monday to Friday. But there are some countries out there whose working week is different and their weekends are different. Uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, so I'm just going to quickly, quickly fact check. Mm. Aha, here it is. In uh, Emirates, Algeria, Bahrain, Egypt, uh, their weekend is Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Sunday is not a thing for them. No, not even on the radar. Um, no. In other countries, I believe. Um, of course, is, that makes sense because Friday is a holy day if you're a Muslim. Yeah, so like predominantly Muslim countries. I think there are even countries where the weekend is Thursday and Friday, but I'm not sure which ones, but I have heard that before. <laughs> what hellhole is that? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, you don't know what it's like. Maybe it's really nice. Maybe it is. Uh, Thursday, best day of the week. Yeah. Well, if it was your weekend, yeah, I guess. You know I, I, mean? just, I just so, can't imagine a Thursday being like a Saturday. Like, that's yeah, crazy right? to me. It's so, so foreign to us. Yeah. Like, literally, but also. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> oh, Dad. <laughs> good good yeah. dad joke there. So, uh, like, yeah. So, I guess we, I think maybe we have to just like stretch out our thinking a little bit. Yeah. Um, and just think, like, okay, I think. Some of the things we can see pretty clearly from scripture is well, like I mentioned, that we will have trials, and as mm. as believers, um, we do. But like, I think there's going to be persecution for Christians. Yeah, um, there already is persecution for Christians in a lot of places in the world, and I think I feel like all Christians at some stage in your life will experience persecution, and I think in a lot of countries, maybe at the moment where it's easy to be a Christian. Maybe there will come time soon where we're going to face like countrywide persecution and it'll be more serious. Mm. I mean, a lot of people have taken COVID-19 as persecution for the church. I would say in some little ways there has been, but I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't think the church is being singled out and persecuted. Well, not no. New Zealand anyway. I feel like it's been really balanced. I've been mm. reading recently about places where there's really harsh restrictions on churches, but not other places. And I'm oh, kind of okay. like, well, that's a little bit of like discrimination yeah. there. That yeah. I'm seeing. I don't know. But anyway, that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, I think for me, the thing, the sticking point for Sunday law um, is has has always been this idea. And he talks about this at the at the very end of this column. Again, if you just want to read the column, you can go ahead and you can um, see this uh, more eloquently than I can uh, represent. But 
he basically ends this by saying, and I agree with him, the main problem is that Sunday Law paints Seventh-day Adventists as the good guys with everybody else being the bad guys in this situation. It paints Baptists, uh, Evangelicals, Catholics, and every other Christian, Christian denomination that comes on board, so to speak, with the beast. Uh, they're all the bad guys because they don't practice the Sabbath and we do. And it pits us against everybody else. And when we become the center of the biblical story, I think that should be a point where we have to really stop and pause and go, are we running away a little bit? Have we, is, is, is the cart gone before the horse in this situation? Um, when we, when the entire, when our entire biblical understanding of, 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 of prophecy revolves around our position as the single hero, good guy, and everybody else being the villain in the story, I think that should really, really make us reconsider where we are at. Um, because ultimately, the story of the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus and about his faithfulness rather than our faithfulness of us doing the right thing, even when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. And yes, of course, we I, I, I fully believe that there will be persecution in the end. And there will be a choice that every person has to make uh, as to whether they want to be part of God's plan of salvation and God's um, plan of, of, of creating new people in a new world and, and, and inviting new creation versus a counterfeit gospel. Um, mm. Revelation definitely testifies to that reality. But I think we should be a lot more humble and a lot more a lot less self-centered when we uh, try to interpret what that is actually going to look like in reality. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and maybe, I don't know, are we allowed to say maybe we should have some options here? Like, you know, <laughs> can we look into what, like, maybe like, can we have some like serious, because that's the thing, we like to study the Bible. We're getting better at it. We're getting mm. more scholarly, but we're not, we still wouldn't class ourselves as like biblical scholars and experts, mm. but I would love to see like some more revisiting into this, like just from a scholarly perspective. Um, cause I think that, I think it's clear like that revelation paints his, paints his picture. And I think even the epistles that there will be tests on, on your worship. Like, mm. are you still worshiping God, even though just circumstances are pushing you away from it or giving you, I don't know how to word, I'm not wording this well. Jesse, you could come along and word this way more elegantly than I can, but <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> it's 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 authentic worship. I think it's authentic worship. I think I think yeah. there's a lot of I think there's a lot of parallel between um this particular between the worship that is depicted in the book of Revelation and what we see in the the prophets Hosea, mm. Amos. I think there's there's parallels there between the beastly worship that we see in Revelation and the compromised hypocritical worship that Israel finds itself involved in in those particular stories where it's all about um, it's all about politicizing and it's about um, power and empire and it's uh, neglecting the poor 
It is neglecting justice. It is being unfaithful to what God actually wants, which is what the three angels message is all about. It's about a call to authentically worship the God who created the heavens and the earth. Uh, And I think that, I think that's that if we go to the very end of Revelation and we we want to conjecture about what the final push, the final conflict, the final fight is going to be about. I think it's going to be about authentic worship and a, a an entity that puts itself forth as a source or, or as the one who can direct people to authentic worship, but is c- completely compromised morally, spiritually, politically, the whole thing. Very well put. And very long-winded. I'm sorry. <laughs> By well put, so it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. And this is, I think, I think, I think for me where sometimes, not all the time, but we hear these parts of prophecy being preached and stuff in our churches and at these things, and sometimes it just feels like they've removed themselves from reality in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, for example... And I'm not hating on anybody. Like, I get it. <laughs> but, like, okay, I was listening to some, like a prophecy message recently and they were preaching about how bad the world is and it's getting worse and worse and worse all the time, which in some aspects, our world is getting worse and worse all the time. But they specifically use the example of poverty. And I said, and I thought to myself, okay, that's just factually untrue. At yeah. the moment. In the last 15 years, India alone, I read this in a Forbes magazine last year. If you, I could try and find it, maybe we can link it. India alone has pulled 176 million people out of poverty in the last, I think, 15 years or last decade. Yeah. There are- that is a crazy amount of people to be pulled out of poverty. Yeah. I, um, I heard, I didn't read the book, but I saw some- um, reviews and articles on it Stephen Pinker's I think it's called Angels of Our Better Nature talking about how actually the world is better off in uh, many different areas one of them is poverty um, one of them is nutrition um, one of them is wars frequency of wars and the effects of wars mm. uh, it's and these are things that are all on the uptick so we actually are not worldwide if you are living below the poverty line, um, then you are in a much smaller minority than you would have been 20, 20 years ago. So yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. And so that's that's the thing. I'm just saying, like, and I'm not saying they shouldn't. I think in a lot of ways the world is getting worse. I think mental health is just yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of help these days for people with mental health issues. But in the same way, like. Yeah, there's, you know, as I'm saying, what I'm saying, there are ways in which the world is getting worse and that should be shared from the pulpit, especially in these public evangelism. But we should at least fact check ourselves first. We should at least share about the things that actually are getting worse and not saying, look, yeah. this is getting worse. And that's what I think, like, when we talk about things like Sunday law and when we talk about it, these other prophetic things that we have and we get so hung up our, on our own interpretation, I don't want us to be so removed from our current reality because that I don't even think aligns with our Adventist historical interpretation because our whole interpretation is based off what is actually happening in the world right now, what is scripture speaking into it and what can we understand about what's coming next from this. Yeah, their interpretations, sometimes we might have the feel for it, but we're not quite there, you know what I mean? Maybe there's a bit of yeah. lens focus. 
I mean, I heard somebody saying the other day to me that they were thinking, what if it's not Sunday law? What if it's Friday law? What if it's like Muslim, like, what is it called? Shar- you know Sharia, what I mean? and I was Sharia like, law. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but yeah. you know, maybe that's something. And I'm not saying that like, I love my Muslim brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? But I'm sure. just using it as an example. But maybe it could, because like you can see in those countries where it's like, well, the weekend's a whole different day. Maybe there's, mm. I don't know, just room for us yeah. to look I think, around again. Look I think again. It's, it's one thing to, it's one thing to get our facts right. Like we got to get our facts right no matter what the case is. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, especially in a post-truth world. But I think it's another thing to continue using outdated and old arguments and conjecture. Like just that whole idea of the world is getting worse and worse and worse. And, and our whole... Man, this is this sucks. But it's <laughs> in some ways, our whole eschatology hinges on that idea. Like... I remember having some conversations with people on Facebook. So I don't know if that you can really count that as a real conversation. <laughs> like when Stephen, <laughs> yeah. when, when Stephen Pinker's book came out, and people were like, "Oh, oh shoot, wait, what what does that mean for our eschatology?" I thought the world had to get worse. <laughs> is it a bad thing that the world is getting better? And I was just like, "What? <laughs> it's a bad thing that the world is getting better?" Like, uh... <laughs> Just so, yep. it just seems so it just seems so upside down and backwards that we would actually have that response of oh snap there's somebody that's saying the world is actually getting better in um in 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 some ways um uh, that, oh that oh I don't like that it's yeah just... how weird is it like what, what have we arrived at that that's problematic for us? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean yeah like now again I want to say. COVID-19 has taught me things can change so quickly. Next year, the world could be way worse. And we could say, yes, the world is getting worse. Definitely. Something could happen. Sunday laws on the horizon for all of us. I'm not saying Mm. any of this is not going to happen. I don't know. I'm just saying like I I want us to just make sure we're really looking around and using (sighs) using like actual data, actual, I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not like a, What's the word? I'm not like some mad statistician or like. Yeah, yeah, but no. Look, I look. Yeah. Here, okay. Here's 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 what I'm sick of. I'm sick of going into Adventist churches and hearing the same message using the same talking points and the same ideas, the same data, even if that data is wrong. Like. I'm just I'm I'm sick of that. It's just lazy. Even if it is the stuff that. Adventist preachers and speakers feel like we have to share this because it's so core to our Adventist belief. I get that. Like I, I, I get this. You know, if it's what you were raised with, it's what if it's what you you feel is the right thing to share because it's what we've always talked about. Sure, but at least let's have the courage and let's have the intelligence to be able to look at the world honestly and intelligently process what is actually happening, the actual data, rather than. Just using the outdated stuff that either no longer works is problematic or offensive, or it's just wrong. Yeah, you know, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. And then I think that will help us with our prophetic understanding and interpretation too, like yeah. way more. Once we, yeah, when we're not when we're not like putting ourselves in a bubble and tell, trying to you know trying to force something that we've always said to look more correct or whatever. It sounds horrible to say, but yeah. 
Yeah. I think when we look around, I think it's going to give us a better voice to speak to today's culture. If we're actually speaking, you know, like like climate change, for example, mm. that is heavily, I know, and maybe some of our listeners are climate change deniers, whatever, I don't know. But, but, <laughs> um, but like that is like a hundred percent like record, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like scientifically backed data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time yeah. and time and time over of exactly how the world is like progressing in a negative direction, yeah. you know, and we're seeing the consequence yeah. of that with natural disasters and all that kind of stuff. And with, um, you know, some area of the world's become becoming more and more inhospitable because of it, all that kind of thing, which will have in turn effects of poverty and all that kind of stuff. So, yep. but I would like to hear if, if somebody used that to, to show, you know, like <laughs> here, see, we, here we see the prophetic voice of scripture, you know, but- but see that the problem with that, Josh, is that we've gotten ourselves into the into a corner with climate change because for so long we've preached that climate change is a ploy used by the left, the radical left, and the Pope <laughs> to force a one world government under this guise of um, halting or slowing down climate change. So we actually can't engage with the real and the scientifically verified data of climate change because we would have to go back on the claims that we have made that climate change is going to be a ploy by which the Sunday law and the one world government will come through. Oh my God. We are going to do an episode on climate change. I'm making the executive decision (laughs) right right now. We might even do a few episodes on it. I don't know. Yeah. We need but, we will need a we'll need a meteorologist. If anybody knows a meteorologist, get us get get them in touch with us. I know I don't know a meteorologist. I know a ecological scientist. No, wow. that's not the word. It's very Ecos- I don't know. I know someone who knows stuff about nature and science. If you guys know Dan the weatherman from 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 TV, <laughs> well, Dan would be fantastic. No, I just I, yeah I. I that's interesting to me. I I don't think I've heard I th- I've heard that narrative in a very small, but I didn't realize that's like. Would you say that's mainstream Adventist teaching that's come that's uh, come out of, or is that random independence that's now it's becoming adopted into mainstream? I don't know. Mm, I think maybe more of the latter. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. See, that's problematic. I, I think. I agree. I agree. And we've made an enemy out of something, and tried to deny something. Yeah. That could actually be the prophetic um unravel like an unraveling of a prophesied event. You know what I mean? Unra- but see, this I say is... unraveling like it's un- an unfolding, that's a better word. Yeah, the unfolding yeah. of a prof- prof- prophetic event. And we've been like, oh no, it's not even real, which is so weird because we're the ones who are sitting here saying, Jesus is coming soon, look at the prophecies. What the heck? How weird yep. is that? Yep. Yep. It's yeah. all a mess, man. It's just it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. This is this is something we're wrestling with, and it's weird yeah. that I'm nervous about this because it's like you can't question Sunday law, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. You, you just can't do it. And we're recording this, and when it goes live, Jesse knows I'm going to have a mad anxiety attack and message him about it. <laughs> and then he's going to be like, "Are you going to? Should we take it down? Should we, should we take it down?" No. <laughs> But there's the thing. I think we need to open ourselves yeah. up to say, this is an interpretation. Can we keep interpreting and keep honing in on it? Not yeah. just not just saying this is how it is. I think that I think that possibly um no, I, I definitely think one hundred percent, without a shadow of a doubt, um, national Sunday law and the discussion around it 
uh, was 100% valid in the time and the era that it was created in. I, I, I definitely think that... I agree. Yeah. Within Ellen White's world and within the world of the developing um, American Republic, it, it, it's something that was very, very valid. I do question where we are at now. I am not Australian. Jo- um, I am not American. <laughs> I am not American. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Breaking news. Uh, kia ora bros. I'm now a Kiwi and uh, always will be a Kiwi. Uh, All right. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, I'm not American. Josh is not American. The vast majority of Seventh-day Adventists living today are not American. True. Um, Forgot about that. And do not live in America and probably will never visit America. And so my uh, caution for us is the things that we teach as gospel truth alongside the actual genuine gospel truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the things that we teach as though they are 100% a part of that gospel message. Um, Do we have biblical precedent for them? Do we have to look outside of the Bible, even if we have to use Ellen White? Again, not. I don't want to diminish uh, Ellen White's um, influence on the church, but if we have to go outside of the Bible to verify and to um, make certain a theological position, and if that theological position features and relies on something which is either culturally uh, obsolete or uh, relies too heavily on something outside of your own country, whether you're listening to this living in the Philippines or Sao Paulo or Norway or whatever, um, if, this, if, if what you are teaching is completely reliant on something that's going to happen in America or Europe or, or wherever, um, I think we should just be really, really cautious about saying this is the absolute gospel truth um, because I think we've we've spent far too long riding on the coattails of our historical ancestors and not taking what they have said and actually applied pro, um, progressive truth uh, present truth to to that particular position and developed it the way that it should be developed mm. Um, for goodness sakes, the church had to go for three, four hundred years before we could figure out the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so if that's how long it takes for the collective Christians to figure out how we understand the Trinity, then how much longer is it going to take us to figure out something as esoteric uh, and and unknown as as this particular point? Well, how long did how long did we? the global church gets stuck in a place without um, salvation by faith. Yeah. You know, like, I don't even know. Like yeah. Hundreds, yeah. thousand hundreds. years maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like before Martin Luther came along. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. we can get stuck in these ruts. And um, yeah, I guess just, yeah. Could Sunday law happen? Yeah, totally. Why not? Um. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to rule out anything these days. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, just using scripture, I could see how. Yeah. Okay. Sure. It could. Could be a thing. I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, at the moment we're living in a different reality. There are countries where there was Sunday law and it's being rolled back in Europe. Like yeah. it's not even a thing anymore. Yeah. So I think there's there's like complications and I think we just need I, I would just love to, love us to just own that a little bit yeah. and just say, Hey, well, maybe let's let's look again. Mm. Let's keep Jesus at the center. Let's acknowledge what the Bible really says. Um and just concrete ourselves in that and yeah i don't know mm. I, what else do i have to add to that <laughs> I'll, I'll ultimately revelation is a revelation of jesus christ um and anything that takes us away from that revelation of of jesus i think is something that we should really reconsider if we're at the center of this and not him um then i think we should be really careful about being too overly confident uh, and obnoxious about the way that we interpret scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I have. That's that's all I have to show you about that. Yeah. Nice. Take hold to Jesus tightly. Look to the world with an open mind. I'm trying to say something deep, but it's not <laughs> happening. So let's just leave it. I love it. I love it. If you yep. come up with it, I'll I'll print it out and I'll put it as a sticker on my fridge or something. Nice. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Well, anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this, guys. Um, like actually, we really would because we're yeah, we're in an interesting place, and maybe there are some interpretations out there. Maybe there are some things out there. Um, maybe you got some stories around this you'd like to share. Mm. Um, or just some thoughts we'd love to hear it. And the mm. best place to go for all things burn the haystack is burnthehaystack.org. Mm. Find uh, links to all of our social media and a way to connect with us right there. Um, and I want to just thank all of our subscribers that have been along with us on this journey for so long. Um, some of you have been here since the beginning. Some of you have been here just a little while. So thank you. Uh, and if you aren't already subscribed to Burn the Haystack, you can just smash that subscribe button wherever you are, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, um, or anywhere else. Um, subscribe. Love you to do that and share it with a friend. And if you really, really want to help us out even further, leave us a rating or a review on whatever podcatching app that you have and um, would love you forever. Yeah. <laughs> forever and a day. Conditional. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody stay awesome. Stay lovely. That is Josh and Jesse out. <laughs>